We are stepping into a new sermon series at this time of the year, my friends. It's a sermon series with the title, Represent. And what does it mean to represent? Well, before we get on to that, let me ask you a question. Because this is a question that will carry us on throughout this sermon series. And the question is simply this. What does it mean to represent God? What does it mean to represent God? Now, we've heard the word represent, and it's a fairly common word in our language and gets used for all kinds of different types of things. And it can be used in a variety of different situations and circumstances. For example, you may have someone or something that represents a brand or a product. Anybody who's familiar with the Lincoln commercials knows that they have a spokesman over the last several years who has come to be identified with that brand. His name is Matthew McConaughey. He's famous for saying, all right, all right, all right. Every time you see Matthew, you, you are a, a considering what he represents, and often what he's representing now is that particular brand. That's one way that someone represents. You can represent a brand. You can represent a product. You can represent an entire company. Anybody heard of Mickey Mouse? When you see Mickey, you know what Mickey represents. Mickey represents Disney. The entirety of Disney. The movies of Disney. The parks of Disney. You can't escape it. That is the symbol. That is who represents Disney. Now people can also represent teams. You've got Aaron Rodgers, who represents the Green Bay Packers. You've got Kirk Cousins, who represents the Minnesota Vikings. And I'll just stop right there. <laughs> Some represent well, others not so well. But they are the symbol. When you see that person and you see them wearing a jersey or something like that, you know who that person is representing not just themselves, but the team in which they are a part of. Now, you can also represent a group or an idea. When we think about groups that are represented, we know that there are representatives who represent us in our state legislature, as well as those who represent us nationally in different occasions. That is their position and that is their role, to represent Others represent ideas, someone like a Martin Luther King Jr. who is known for representing social justice and things of that nature. We think of those people and we immediately identify who or what they represent. But when we think of the word represent, we should think of its specific meaning, which is to re-present. We know what it means to present an idea, or present a person, or present a proposal. To re-present that is to be the one who stands in the place of that idea, or of that notion, or of that person. To present a person is, is one thing. To represent that person is when that person is absent, you are standing in the place of that person to share their ideas, to stand in place as a true representative. That's what it means to represent, to re-present. So as we're coming into this sermon series and the question being, what does it mean to re-present God, 
We're going to look at some characters, some people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament who in their own way were called by God to represent him, to represent him in his goodness, in his glory, in his character before people. And the first of those characters that we're going to look at today is Abram. Abram, you've heard much of the story shared in those scriptures today. Abram has quite a story starting at the latter parts of chapter 11 of Genesis and continuing on through chapter 20 and in many ways far beyond all the way to the end of the scriptures. He is a major character, a very important person in the story. And we hear of Abram how he is called to represent God and what that call sounds like specifically. And so I want to read it to you one more time so that you can capture the gravity of this call. From chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's some really important things that are being pointed out in this passage that sometimes get missed on us as Westerners. Abram is being called to go from his country, to leave his people, and to leave behind his father's name and to go to the place that God would show him. Now when we think about leaving a country or we think about leaving a a people or a region or we think about leaving behind the name of our family, well, it doesn't quite have the same weight with us. We're accustomed to people moving. We're accustomed to people shifting, perhaps even shifting loyalties from one team to another or something like that. But I can give you a simple example of what this is like in my family. My last name is Vic, but what you may not know is that name Vic is a shortened version of the name that we had prior to moving to America. That name was Sheenaviken. The Norwegian name, spelled S-K-I-N-D-E-R-V-I-K-E-N. You'll wonder why they shortened it. <laughs> Sheenaviken. That's my family's name. It carries all the way back from Norway, the country of our origin, the country of my grandparents, who were the first immigrants to come over in the early part of the 20th century. Now, my father, who was full-blooded Norwegian, took a great deal of pride in being Norwegian and sharing about that. He took us on numerous trips to Norway, as a matter of fact. But one place we never made it to that always surprised me was a place north of Oslo, which is the capital of Norway, called Sjinneviken. It's a small region. There's a farm that is there. There's a lake that is nearby, and that place is called Sheenaviken. Now, Sheenaviken wasn't just a family name, because Sheenaviken means shining water or shining bay. It was the name of the area. So that area that was a place 
was attributed to a people, the Shinevikans. Now, there are still Shinevikans and descendants of them who are in the United States. And if I go back and trace my lineage, there are some names that you will find that are not directly connected to my family, at least not as far as we can see. But I guarantee you, one way or another, they were a part of my people, the people who were from that region of Shinevikan. So the name represented a people that came from a place. And when they came to the United States, they changed the name. They changed where they were located. They became part of another people. It's a story that many of our ancestors share. Many of our immigrant communities share. So for me, while I can say I'm proud and grateful for my heritage as a Norwegian, it's not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about myself or my family or my place or where I am. It's not the same as it was for somebody in the time of Abram in the Middle East. Your place and your people and your name meant everything. To be stripped of those three things is to be stripped of your entire identity. Abram, son of Terah. We heard the story of Terah. We know how important these stories are and these lineages are because they're all over the Bible. They're those places that many people like to kind of skip over as they're reading. It's the such and such begot such and such who then begot such and such and begot such and such and so on and so on and so on. Sometimes taking up a whole chapter of a book. We can look at that and go, boy, that seems like just a lot of fill to be putting those things in there. But for the sake of the scriptures and its meaning, they are vitally important. Because whoever wanted to know who someone was wanted to know who they were associated with. Who are you? Who is your father? Who is your grandfather? Where did they come from? Where are your people? Where is your place? To know your place and your people and your name was critical to who you were as a person. And Abram is called by God to leave all of that behind. Leave behind your country, your place. Leave behind your people. Leave behind your name. And go to the place that I call you to go. And there I will make you into a great nation. Nation is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic from. I will make you into a people. And that people will bear your name, but more importantly, they will bear my name. They will be my people. They will represent me in the world. They are called to be a blessing to the world, to bless those that are blessed 
and to continue to be a blessing and an expression of God's character in the world. That is what Abram is being called to do, and in order to do that, he must leave behind that which is so important to his identity, his place. It says he came from Ur of the Chaldeans. That's both place and people. The Chaldeans being a people, Ur being a place, that's where he comes from. That's where his family settled. That's where they were. But no longer. You don't hear Abram referred to as, oh, Abram the Chaldean. Oh, Abram of Ur. Not anymore. Instead, he's Abram who would become Abraham. And that has deep significance too. Why? Well, because we discover in the story of Abram's family that Abram has a wife. And we discover something extremely important about Abram's wife. Abram's wife has not had any children. And as important as it is to know where you are from is to leave behind you a legacy of who you are onto your descendants. A critical part of being a part of the whole story. Such begets such begot such begot such. To know at this age and at this point in time when Abram is called the Sarai, he's 75 years old. We can only imagine that Sarah is of similar age. But they have no children. How are you going to become a great nation, a great people, with as many descendants as will fill the stars of the sky? How is that possible when you can't even have one? But God gives a promise. A promise to Abraham. Leave all this behind, Abraham, and I promise you that you will be the father of many. And he changes his name, a name, Abram, which means blessed father. A name that you can imagine for Abram had to also be filled with pain. To be 75 years old with the name blessed father and no one to call your child. But in the promise of God, who reminds Abram over and over and over again as he faithfully determines to follow God's lead and his call. Ultimately, God even changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And as a part of the promise, he says, not only are you blessed father, but you will be the father of multitudes, which is what Abraham means. All of these promises given to Abram, if he will only leave behind his identity and that which he has represented to move forward in representing God. And that's what Abram does. And he does it imperfectly. Very imperfectly. For all the honor that should be bestowed upon Abraham and the stories and the songs that we sing. Abram, who is called out to leave his country behind and go to a new place, a promised land. 
That's what Abram does. He uproots his family from Haran, where he had been staying, and moves into Canaan. And immediately there's a famine, and he bails and heads down to Egypt. It happens within the first few verses of the story after the promise. And not only that, but while he's there, his beloved wife, who apparently at the age of 75 is still quite a looker, has the eyes of the Pharaoh upon her. And Abraham, as the upright man of God whom he is called to be, says, hey, don't tell him you're married to me. Just tell him you're my sister. And Pharaoh takes Sarai as his wife. Not a good move. Not a good plan. Not very faithful. But yet God would even use those circumstances of Abram's lack of faith, of his lack of trust to make him into a blessing and to further his purposes in the world because God will still use faulty people to represent him. He did then and he still does today. Here I am. Here we all are. Broken people people filled with flaws and failures, yet still called to represent God, even as imperfectly as we do. So let me ask you the question, who do you represent? I know each of you comes from a place, whether it's the place that you were born or the place that you moved from or traveled to, or maybe it's the place that you're in right now. Maybe it's a a proud, lifelong resident of White Bear Lake or a proud Minnesotan or one who takes great pride in being a part of the United States and a citizen here. None of those things are wrong. But do they define you? Are they the first thing that people come to know about you? We are called by God to represent something far more than the place where we live. Or like me, you may be proud of the fact that you have parents or grandparents or great-grandparents who came to these shores from a distant land. Norway, Germany, Sweden even. (laughs) Norwegian has to say that. France, England, wherever it might be, that might be the place where you have come from. Or it might be South America or the continent of Africa. Things that may identify you even more with distinguishing characteristics that define you as coming from a people, an ethnos, an ethnic background, a nation. But is that the first thing that defines you? You may have an affiliation with a party or with a political group or with a movement. And those things can be helpful sometimes, but I tell you what, as the people of God, we must remember who we represent first. 
And we must remember that we are called to put aside those other identifying factors if any one of them gets in the way of us representing God himself as his people. You see, we have a place and a people and a family that doesn't look like many of the ways those things are identified in the world. We have a place, but our place is a kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this earth, a kingdom that has no physical boundaries, a kingdom that is not protected by any borders, a kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. That is our first allegiance to that kingdom. And we are a part of a people, a people that are not defined by their ethnic background or their homeland or anything else, a people who are defined as being a part of the church. The church is the people of God. We are God's people grafted in to the family of Abraham, called to continue on being a blessing to the world because of the people that we are a part of and represent. We represent a kingdom that is not of this world. We represent a people who are the people of God called His church. And we represent a name, a family name. And that name is Christian, a follower of Jesus. It is an identity and a representation that is to supersede every other representation, every other identity. As followers of Jesus, I ask you and I challenge you, if after a conversation of 10 minutes with you or after a little bit of scrolling down your Facebook feed or any other feed in any other social media, if people can tell something about your ethnicity, something about your political party, or some other affiliation that you hold in honor above Jesus, you're representing the wrong thing. Friends, in this day, it is essential for the people of God to be identified first through the love of Jesus. That when people experience us in whatever way they do, that the first thing they experience is, wow, that person shows the love of God. That person expresses the heart of Jesus. I wonder what church they're a part of. I wonder what kingdom it is that they represent. We have a kingdom who has one king. We are called to represent him before anything else. And we're going to do it imperfectly. Every one of us is going to do it imperfectly. I have, and I'm certain that on various occasions you have as well, where we've stepped out boldly and decided to, to represent our own ideas or our own notions or, or whatever it is ahead of Jesus. For the times that I have done that, for the times that I will do it in the future, I ask for your forgiveness now and then. Because we're going to mess this up. If Abram couldn't get it right, neither will we. But we can live into the promises of God 
We can live into His calling on our lives to be Christians, small Christs. None of us complete on our own, but all of us meant to live in this world bearing the name of the one who has saved us from ourselves, the one who has rescued us from our sin, the one whose name is above all names, whose kingdom will endure forever when every other kingdom fades, when every other name is forgotten, when every other people are called to bow their knee. That's what we are called to. So today before I pray, I want to invite you, as Pastor Angie is going to step up to the table in a moment, to remember who you are and how this meal marks you and marks me. As you come to this table, I pray that you would leave behind your burdens. You would leave at the foot of the cross those things that have weighed you down. And you would leave behind any identity and anything that you want to represent ahead of Jesus, come to the table and lay them at his feet and receive his mercy, receive his grace, receive his goodness and his forgiveness. And then as you go, as you leave and make your way down this aisle and out into the world, May you receive your call to represent Jesus, his kingdom, and his church. May that identity fill you. May coming to the foot of the cross humble you and me, being reminded that the king that we represent gave his life for those around him and for those who were yet to come behind him and did so as the embodiment and representative of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one that we call out to because it's you who have adopted us into your family. You've done so through your son Jesus Christ. And we call upon his name as the only name in heaven and on earth who could save and who has rescued each and every one of us from every idolatry, from every sin, from every failure, and has called us forth into new life to be a part of a new kingdom be a part of a new people to bear your name as followers of Jesus marked by the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you remind us of those things today. May we embrace them with whole hearts as we receive you today, Jesus. You who give us everything we need. We praise you and we thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.